Well, welcome all to the next podcast in our federal election series at uh, Herbert Smith Freehills. Today we're going to address one of the proposals in the ALP platform, which is fairly new in Australia, involving whistleblowing and in particular the potential for whistleblowers to receive a bounty or some form of reward for the provision of information uh, about wrongdoing. I'm joined on the line by Executive Counsel Shu Jinku from Sydney. Morning, Shu. Good morning, Anthony. And from our US uh, New York office uh, partner, Barbara Roth. Good morning, Barbara. Yes, well, good evening here, yes, and good morning to you. Um, I might just ask you, um, Shu, first, tell us a little bit about uh, your practice in Sydney and what you've been up to recently. Thanks, Anthony. In terms of my role here in this space, there's two aspects to it. The first has been really looking at the proactive work that we can do in terms of the uh, complying with the le- recent legislative developments, which is something I think we will talk about uh, in a moment, as well as uh, dealing with the litigation that comes out of what are the existing provisions and preparing clients to deal with what I think uh, will be some litigation that will flow from how the whistleblowing provisions are going to be interpreted by the relevant uh, courts and tribunals going into the future. Well, thanks, Shu. It would be remiss of me not to mention a, a pretty public and large matter you've been involved in recently for the for Rugby Australia, the, the Israel Folau case. That's right. That's right. That's been keeping us uh, busy. So hopefully that will draw to a close and we'll see how, how that uh, flows on. Excellent. Um, Barbara, um, how's things in New York? And tell us a little bit about the sort of things that you get up to in your practice. Okay. Uh, things are pretty good in New York. Um, my practice is focused on litigation, which of course always begins with counseling, but litigation in the uh, labor and employment arena. Uh, In terms of whistleblowing, whistleblowing has been a factor in the United States for a long time. And in fact, many years ago, I was a member of the New York State Bar Association Committee, which... uh, put together the first New York whistleblower law that had actually a very limited focus. Okay. Interesting. Um, Moving to the topic, I might go to you first, Shu. The ALP has included um, in its platform some of these provisions about whistleblowing and about bounties and the like. Could you talk talk us through what's proposed? Look, the the Labor policies is interesting in that it's changed from where they were when we were going through the parliamentary process for the new legislation, which commences in July. Up until probably January, February, it seemed like Labor weren't going to make too much of an issue of the legislation. They were either going to get on board or they were going to make some amendments to it. Then they decided to support the legislation as had been put by the government and it went through. But almost at exactly the same time, they uh, released uh, some new commentary on the 
legislation and what they will see, what they want to see will happen, which includes uh, commentary around the creation of a new whistleblower protection uh, authority and this was the first time that they mentioned that there would be a reward scheme where a whistleblower could receive a percentage uh, of the penalties that come from the wrongdoing, wrongdoing that their information uh, reveals. So it was actually quite a significant change and one that uh, I don't think we were predicting at the time uh, that they would uh, propose particularly given that the legislation that's been uh, implemented now doesn't have a review for five years. So it will be interesting to see how Labor, if they win power, try and introduce this into legislation which will which hasn't actually taken effect yet and is only to take effect from the 1st of July. Mm. That is interesting. Let's assume they have their way and there is a mechanism by which they can bring their proposals to fruition. Um, firstly, with coverage, is this something that will apply broadly to, to all private sector businesses, should? That's right. It will apply much more broadly. We've, all, we've had protection for whistleblowers under the Corporations Act uh, for a while, but it's been very limited both in terms of who could uh, make a complaint and who uh, could get protection and some of the limitations around what they could complain about. Now we're seeing a much broader range of people who will be able to bring um, or make whistleblower complaints. It will include current and former employees as well as uh, their family members and you've also got contractors and suppliers and the legislation also increases the scope around what sorts of things uh, can be complained about. So it's going to be a much broader range. Uh, that's, that's going to mean that I think the legislation will be much more relevant uh, and we'll see more activity in this space, similar to uh, what we see in the public sector, which has had these sorts of broader protections for a lot longer. Okay, and just moving to reward schemes, I guess in the midst of an election campaign, it, it's relevant to ask the question, where's the money coming from? Um, how are the rewards to be funded? Well, unfortunately, we don't have that level of detail around how it's uh, going to work. But presumably, the way it will work is that it will that the government would want it, want it to be some sort of self-sustaining model, whereby that the regulator that uh, is handing out these uh, rewards would be uh, using money that comes from imposing penalties or uh, recovery action that they take rather than trying to draw the money from consolidated revenue or from a general tax base uh, because I think that would cause other issues in terms of uh, the equity around uh, the money that's being paid to specific individuals. Okay, and I guess just finally for now, what sort of factors will be looked at uh, in deciding whether the whistleblower receives a reward and, and how much the reward ought to be? That's a really good question, Anthony. It's, there's, we've got a, 
a little bit of guidance, but I think it's it's going to be in the detail around how that is actually expressed. But I think what they will have regard to are things like the degree to which the information from the whistleblower led to the imposition of the penalty, uh, whether there was a procedure within the organisation and the, the whistleblower actually followed uh, through that uh, process, uh, how much information, how timely was it that the whistleblower provided, uh, you know, what other things have happened to the whistleblower? Have they been able to recover uh, funds from some other action? So whether there's some other sort of employment-related uh, claim that they were in involved with, which has compensated them to a degree. And perhaps the last one will be whether they have any of their own uh, individual liability associated with the matter that they have raised. So were they involved in the breach in themselves, the which might... Yeah, which might reduce uh, the penalty, so like a contributory negligence or something similar type concept. And I guess the proposal is that these questions will be considered by the authority that will be established. That's right. I think it will be up to the authority and whether the individual makes a submission which says, here is the checklist and I think I meet all of them, therefore I should get X percentage and the authority will say, well, we take a, a different view um, and then who knows what happens with that, whether the authority is the final arbiter of this and decides that you get, say, 15% or 10% or an amount uh, and the individual has to accept that and whether or not they can actually appeal that decision. There may be admin law remedies to allow mm. them to take it to the courts, I assume. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, Barbara, um, any yes. of this sound familiar to you um, in terms um, of your US experience? Yes, it sounds very familiar, um, especially the, the scheme about uh, determining what role a particular complaining party's complaint has played in the recovery that has been gotten and how much they got. It's a very similar system in the United States. But as it has turned out in the U.S., the whistleblowing reports are somewhat less common than I think had been expected at one point. Whistleblower laws started in the United States quite a long time ago, at least 30 years ago, if not more. And they started on a smaller level. And I know uh, specifically I was on the committee of the New York State Bar Association that helped draft the first whistleblower law, which was focused only on matters of public health and safety. So, for example, it would encourage people to and would protect them for reporting um things that endangered the public, such as power plant situations that could lead to some disaster or perhaps um, some wrongdoing at a company that was producing pharmaceuticals that could harm the public. But there was very much that orientation. And as the years went by, it focused, it expanded to focus on the public securities markets and to act as a protection 
to investors so that if somebody reported something that was a fraud on the investors or a breach of acceptable securities law practices, that was a basis for uh, a whistleblower claim, possibly for a bounty. And But there really were not all that many bounties. There were certainly some, and they became well-known, but there were not all that many. In more recent years, the what we're seeing with whistleblower laws is that they provide a basis for employees to claim that they are whistleblowers. They have gone to the company and complained about something, and as a result, they cannot be retaliated against by being fired or typically by being fired. And it has become a defensive device that employees use in litigation. They allege that they uh, there's a problem in the company. They complained about it. They have now been threatened with discharge. And as a result of that, they are invoking the whistleblower laws to seek some protection for themselves. And that has become the more popular use of this. Okay. Just before we dive into that, if you look at the the more altruistic, I suppose, examples where genuine wrongdoing has been reported and the whistleblower reporting it has received a bounty, I mean, exactly how prevalent has that been in the United States? Not that prevalent. There, there certainly are situations where somebody has reported uh, what they perceive to be wrongdoing. And it has been investigated, and occasionally there has been some kind of award to the employee. But it has not been the the huge, uh, you know, influx of claims. And part of this may be because most companies these days, and for a number of years, have pretty effective internal policies and hotlines and mechanisms to make a report. And if somebody makes the report and the harm is avoided through the report uh, and everybody goes along happily thereafter, there, there really is no greater issue mm. that, that needs to be pursued. It is when, and questions have arisen as to, can somebody be a whistleblower if they do not use the internal procedures? Uh, can you come along and say that you have complained when you did not use the company's processes? You didn't call the hotline, which is an anonymous way to report a problem, or you did not go to somebody official, or you did not even, and because these come up often with public companies in the securities context, you didn't go to the Securities and Exchange Commission and file any complaint. Are you a whistleblower then? Mm. And these these are the kinds of issues that have been litigated more recently. And I think it People had the impression at the beginning with whistleblower laws that they were fairly straightforward and 
you you made a complaint, there was a response, and uh, you know maybe you get some money for that. At least you get some correction of the problem. Mm-hmm. But there are all these side issues that have been raised that make it less common that somebody is really going to complain about these things. I have to say that, uh, you know, in my own experience, the most common um, use of the whistleblower laws has been the claim that somebody complained about something and there was retaliation against them after the complaint. And therefore, you know, they should be, if not rewarded, they should be protected by the law. You mentioned um, internal company policies and you used the word hotlines. Is there any connection in your experience between these bounty-type laws and the, um, if you like, stricter and strengthening whistleblower legislation? Have companies reacted to that by more detailed internal policies? Has it driven the, the development of the hotline approach, as it were? Well, it it depends on what country the the company is based in. So there there are some company there are some countries, for example, some in Europe where there are requirements uh, in terms of having these policies available. So if you're connected with a company that is subject to these policies, uh, let's say, and I recall one, a French company that had a legal requirement to uh, have such a policy. And so they expanded it to all of their locations, including in the United States, even though it wasn't necessary. As time has gone on, companies in creating their policies have become more mindful to a few things. First of all, looking as if they are uh, honorable and interested in doing the right thing and interested in protecting their shareholders, their employees, uh, and the public. So it has become very popular to have whistleblower policies. Uh, They are very common these days. And then to implement those policies, people are given instructions about how they make a report of a complaint. And there are various routes Typically, a report would, you know, be fairly broadly, the the mechanism for making a report would be broadly available. So it could be by uh, a report to a supervisor, a report to the human resources department. But hotlines have been used because these are anonymous ways for uh, employees to make a report of a problem. Um, they are not used, there isn't much on these hotlines for the most part. There are occasional complaints about something, and then the company looks into it. Often the complaint that's being made, though, is not actually the blowing of a whistle. It is just a genuine, you know, uh, complaint by an upset employee, but it doesn't rise to a whistleblower complaint. Okay. But hotlines have become popular. Okay. Look, I've just noticed that in the um, joint parliamentary committee report um, on which it seems to me the ALP um, proposals are based, there's a st- statistic quoted that since these schemes, reward schemes, were implemented in the US in 2012, 
compensation has been awarded to 34 whistleblowers. That seems to me to be an incredibly small number over seven years in a country the size of the US. Well, you have to keep in mind it's that there... There, prob- there certainly are more than 34 people who've complained, but these it has to be determined that, in fact, the complaint was in the nature of whistleblowing, complaining about something that qualifies under the applicable law as whistleblower uh, conduct. It also has to be done in good faith. It needs to be accurate. It can't just be a personal complaint. Mm. So there, there is a hurdle to get over. Okay. It sounds like what you're saying, Barbara, is that the ramifications of these reward schemes, in your experience, have been seen more in cases and litigation about termination of employment and whether the employer was actuated by uh, the employee's complaint than they have about um, compliance by regulators. Is that a fair comment? Well, there, I think they're two separate things. I think regulators continue to be uh, very mindful of compliance obligations, and companies are as well. And there are compliance departments and compliance professionals who address these things and who work with the regulators and who make certain that the company is complying with its obligations. I think so that that is one aspect of this. And I think that has been, um, you know, a good use of everybody's time. It, it strengthens the relationship between the company and the regulator because they're having a conversation about these things. And companies have somebody to talk to to know that they are in compliance with the laws. The other part of this, though, is that whistleblower defenses have become part of litigation. It is common, uh, not in every case, but not infrequent at all, to have an employee say, I complained about X and I was fired and it's because I was a whistleblower. Mm. When you look at many of those cases, you find that the reason it appears that the reason the employee has complained is because they knew that there was a problem with their performance or with their conduct. It was, they had been warned. It was foreseeable that they were going to be terminated and they filed a lawsuit and interposed a whistleblower defense in the hope of protecting themselves, not as a genuine complaint about something of shareholder concern or public concern or the well-being of anybody, but simply as a way to try to uh, save their job. Okay. just want to bring you in, Shu. Is um, Is that the kind of outcome you think the ALP policy is directed at? Look, there are a couple of things out of all of that, and um, I mean, Barbara has basically summarised quite neatly um, the the legislation and, and how it's intended uh, to operate uh, in Australia in many respects. For example, in terms of the um, requirement to have the policies, which will be mandatory for public. Uh, companies and the ability to make 
anonymous uh, disclosures and the fact that one of the areas where we will see uh, some debate will be around whether or not the issue that arises is actually a whistleblowing complaint that goes to something uh, of significance to the entity and resolving uh, that sort of issue or is something more of a personal grievance that they have which is more of a lower level individual HR issue and I think we will see a lot of issues um, around that and then we will see uh, those claims that are brought around having suffered detriment because of the fact that they will allege that they are a whistleblower uh, and the protection that they get under the legislation which includes a reverse onus uh, so the uh, employer will have to defend their position. So all of those things seem um, to pick up all of the issues that Barbara has identified without getting into the issue around the actual monetary rewards scheme uh, that could uh, arise and where that will um, lead us to. It seems to me that that's um, a step further down the track uh, that we will need to, to, to deal with if it gets introduced in terms of the rewards. I think uh, for the moment, it's uh, at least from Barbara's experience, it seems to me that our energies and the learnings that we're going to f have are going to come from dealing with the other parts of this legislation as it's been introduced and where we will see the the issues arise and it will be um, another area of interest as to how the individual issues that are raised are dealt with and whether it is a, Barbara, I think you called it a, a defensive mechanism yes. that's used by employees uh, as a way to to respond to a to uh, an issue they see on the horizon in terms of their performance uh, or or some other reason which may mean that their employment uh, ends. So it may not be that we see this as a situation where we have uh, individuals who are looking for a way to earn a reward by disclosing conduct uh, and doing it for that reason. It may be that there are uh, other motivations for that, are, that are, yeah, providing that's right. information. But we're mm. getting on. Um, I just wanted to make an observation. I, I'd half expected that the US experience that we'd be hearing about today would involve ambulance chasing lawyers and professional whistleblowers that move from company to company looking for opportunities to profit from the reporting of wrongdoing. And I guess it's it's surprising in a sense, but it's also a um, um, useful observation that it doesn't appear that that, that certainly didn't jump out, uh, which I think is an interesting, ob um, interesting observation. Just a, one final question for both of you, and perhaps, Shu, you can go first. Looking at what's proposed, you know, in a nutshell, what should the legal counsel or the HR director 
in major Australian corporates be thinking about as they approach the election and the potential for, for these changes? Shoot. Look, for me, this is the... As I think I, I, I said a moment ago, I, the, the whistleblower rewards, uh, the financial rewards part of it, I don't think... Um, should be the focus. I think there's a much more immediate issue, which will be getting up to speed with the amendments that are coming into effect in terms of having a policy in place and training people so that they understand that they can be a recipient of a disclosure and being aware of how to manage that and deal with the fact that, um, particularly around the disclosure of a whistleblower's identity, uh, the significant fines that can apply for inadvertently disclosing that, that I think is going to be what is going to be exercising uh, HR directors and uh, boards' uh, interest for okay. the next little while to make sure that that's in place uh, because it's, it's a significant change that we're going through and for the moment it is relatively uncharted waters for the private sector yeah. uh, and I think there's a, there's a lot of lot of opportunities for organisations to trip up and find themselves having breached the new legislation so that I think is the is the focus uh, and then if we do get a rewards scheme in place, um, I don't see that happening in the the short term, right. uh, and so I think we can, for in a sense, um, wait and see how that plays out. Okay, so the change, the actions that you talked about for immediate attention, one July is the key date, isn't it? When those current amendments will come into force, is that right? That that's exactly right, Anthony. Okay, Barbara. Um, what would your message be to, to legal counsel in, uh, in major Australian corporates about what might be coming if the ALP win the election? Well, I, I think the message really is that this can be a positive thing for companies. It can be a way to make sure that they have sensible policies in place. Uh, I agree that focusing on the payment is really not the way to go here. It's focusing on ensuring that good policies are in place and that mechanisms for enforcing those policies are in place and that there is a responsive uh, management structure that is going to genuinely give people the opportunity to bring things to management's attention uh, so that the companies can function uh, securely and without tripping up, um, these uh, these can you know I think history when when everybody looks back at this they'll see a progression as we do in the United States with how these laws are used over time uh, and it can be positive it it might be a little frightening at the beginning when you're anticipating the way that things can go wrong, but there are so many ways that they can go right. That's a, that's a great message um, and a, a really useful perspective. Thanks, Barbara, for taking the time today, and thanks, Shu, for, for your comments. All right. Thank you, Anthony. Well, thank you. Um, it's, that's another podcast. This will be posted to the HSF 
Federal Election Hub on our website. Do keep an eye on the Hub. We've got eight or ten articles posted there from our people around the country with some really interesting um, thought pieces about implications and what business might need to be aware of in the event that the ALP wins the election next weekend. There'll be another podcast and two more articles posted during the course of the week. So thanks once again for your attention. Cheers. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.